Revival is not something to be taken lightly. Over the history of our faith, we can point to many instances of genuine revival amongst communities of faith. As diverse as the specific instances may be, there are generally similar circumstances surrounding these occurrences. Hunger for God, desperation, stagnancy in the faith, adverse situations, all that to say, is there any reason why revival couldn't happen now? Join us today as we continue our series called Revival Stronger Than Ever. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Venture Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, so thankful that you are joining us today. We believe you are where you need to be and we are praying God will give you a reason and purpose of why he has you where you are at this moment in time. So today I want to start off with a question. Okay, what kind of encouragement does a nation need when it emerges from a national crisis? That's the question Ezra is answering us, answering for us in the book of Chronicles. And then the next question I want to ask is what kind of encouragement do you need when you're facing a personal crisis? Well, that's the question Ezra is answering for us in this section of Chronicles that we'll be looking at today. Uh, But first, uh, a little context. Uh, The book of Chronicles covers a 400-year period of time called the Kingdom Period because from 1000 B.C. to 600 B.C., Israel was ruled by kings, and Saul was its first king. Uh, He didn't do so well, so Ezra doesn't spend much time on on him. Uh, David comes next. David was uh, human in his sins and amazing in his heart. The author of Hebrews calls him a man after God's own heart, right? Uh, And two weeks ago, we saw God ask David to build him uh, an altar, so he built the altar. Uh, But first, he bought the wood for the altar and the animals for the sacrifice and the field in which he built the altar because he said, I will not offer to the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. In other words, I can't offer something I don't have. That's, That's not costing me anything, right? Next in the line of kings was Solomon. Last week we learned how his gift of wisdom endowed an entire nation. Second Chronicles 10 through 13 tells the story of Solomon's son, whose name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was not a, a wise king. Uh, when the people asked him to lower their taxes, he, he raised them I- instead, which, which basically split the kingdom forever. Uh, and from that time on, Israel was a divided kingdom. The ten tribes in the north were known as Israel, and the two tribes in the south were called Judah. And throughout the rest of its history, 19 kings ruled the kingdom of Israel, and not one of them followed the Lord. And 20 kings ruled in the kingdom of Judah, and many of them tried to follow the Lord. They really did. They really tried to follow the Lord. Ezra, who is writing to a distressed people, is looking for positive examples to teach uplifting lessons. So Chronicles majors in the kings of the south right? The ones that really tried to follow God. Uh, 
Well, after David, Solomon, and Rehoboam uh, come two kings whose names both start with A. The first one is Abijah. Uh, Abijah reigned for three years, so so we're going to kind of skip him and go on to the second king, and his name is Asa, or some people pronounce it Asa. It's spelled A-S-A, Asa. Asa was not perfect, uh, but he was one of the good kings. Ezra is going to use the life of Asa to teach us three lessons on the power of faithfulness today. Asa is going to show us that when we are faithful to God, God is unfailing to us. He's going to teach us that the faithful may have setbacks, but never full-on failures. Because God is faithful to the one to his faithful ones, is what I want to say. And and all that God has is strongly available to the person who is strongly available to God. Asa's story spans three chapters of Second Chronicles, chapters 14, 15, and 16. So if you're ready to do some learning today, um, here's what I want you to do. If you can, uh, open up a Bible to Second Chronicles chapter 14, and uh, that's where we'll start with today. Uh, let me share this before I, before I read what I'm going to start with today. Uh, around 900 BC, the king of Cush, which is modern-day Ethiopia, was powerful enough to conquer the kingdom of Egypt. The country north of Egypt was Judah, which happened to be ruled by young King Asa. Uh, so let's pick up our story there. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV today, starting in Second Chronicles chapter 14, uh, starting with verse 8 through 13. Here's how it reads. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. Zerah, the Cushite, marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands. And I just got to share with you, some translations show that as a, a million uh, soldiers. And they also had 300 chariots and came as far as Marishah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zepatha near Marishah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. So imagine yourself as a, as a young king, maybe 30 years old, roughly. Uh, you get wind that a million-man army is coming against you. Everyone under your care, every person you love, everything, every animal, every building, every field in your kingdom is about to be overrun, broken, killed, ravaged, or stolen. What do you do? What do you do? You do what every person of faith does. You, you get down on your hands and knees and you pray your knuckles white. You call on the Lord. Asa says, Lord, there is no one beside you to help us. Help us, Lord, because we depend on you. And what does God do? Well, he answers. He does what he asks. And more than what he asks, he not only protects your kingdom and everyone you love, he, he gives you your enemy over to you so that his army is destroyed and can never come against you again. Now, it may have been this passage, may not have been, but 
I, I believe it could have been. The Apostle Paul uh, was thinking about when he wrote uh, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine. Uh, I, can, I just think it's that powerful that, that that's where Paul could have been thinking. Ezra is teaching a lesson to a people who are insecure and unsure. They've been away from home for 70 years. They, they just moved back into their land. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, you find that other people had moved into that neighborhood, right? While Israel was away on exile, they moved in. And of course, they're not going to be happy that the Israelites are coming back in. So there's a lot of insecurity there. Ezra's writing to people who feel insecure and unsure, like many of us do right now. Which leads us to where we're going today. We're going to be talking about three lessons on the power of faithfulness. Three lessons on the power of faithfulness. Ezra is teaching us a lesson in our faith and, and God's faithfulness. The first lesson I want to talk about is the lesson of the route. Okay, The lesson of the route, R-O-U-T-E. Asa prays, and the Bible says, The Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. So what is the lesson of the route? Well, it is this. Call on the Lord, and he will fight for you. Call on the Lord, and he will fight for you. Listen, when you work, you get what you can do, right? But when you pray, you get what God can do, and God can do anything, right? He can route a million-man army. He can supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He can supply your financial needs, your physical needs, he can give you a job in the midst of a pandemic. He can give you a friend. He can encourage you. He can keep you from failing or falling. He can lead you not into temptation, but deliver you from evil, which is awesome, right? But sometimes he will let you feel outnumbered so that you can know that you can count on him. The lesson of the route is when you're in a mess, be faithful to pray so that God can be faithful to answer. I hope you're praying for a miracle these days because we need one, don't we? I believe we do. Last week, Ezra reminded us that if my people who are called by my name will pray, I will heal their land. I will heal their land. The lesson of the route is if I will be faithful to pray, he will be faithful to fight. So what are you going to do first thing tomorrow morning? I hope you'll pray, right? When you get done with this podcast, what's the first thing you're going to do? I hope you'll pray. That's what my hope is. Ezra's second lesson comes in chapter 15. So the route is over, and now we have the lesson of revival. We're going to talk about the lesson of revival. Asa and his men are returning to their homes and families. On their way home, the Lord sends them a prophet named Nazariah to encourage them. So let's read about that. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, 1 through 9. Again, I'm in the NIV today. The Spirit of God came to Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all uh, Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and, and, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. And he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. 
When Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord, his God, was with him. So on the way home from a great victory, God asked Asa to make it even greater. During the reigns of his father and grandfather, people had begun worshiping other gods, the gods of the Canaanites, and, and people were building places of worship to Baal all over the land and all kinds of stuff, right? So Asa thinks about the first commandment. It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Asa sends wrecking crews out to tear down the pagan worship centers, and he commissions the Levites to refurbish the temple. The people are so inspired by Asa's leadership that they all flock to Jerusalem for a great celebration. People from the northern tribes start moving south just to be under Asa's leadership. If you were, read, if you were to read verse 10, it says, The people gathered at Jerusalem in late spring during the 15th year of Asa's reign. The third month of the Jewish calendar is late May or early June, which is right about this time frame. They've come together to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And Leviticus 23 says that at Pentecost, the nation was to sacrifice a bull, seven lambs, and two rams. And if you were to read on in verse 11, it says, On that day they sacrificed to the Lord 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had taken in the battle. Remember, when David was asked to build an altar to the Lord, he did more than he was asked. And when Solomon was seeking God's favor, he sacrificed more than was expected. When Asa and his people make a sacrifice, they do a thousand times more than they were asked. You see, when people love God deeply, they give to him lavishly. And so I love what the next few verses say in chapter 15, 12 through 15. It says, they had entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and all their soul. All who would meet... would. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would put to death or would be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Remember, they took an oath, right? And they didn't take a quiet one. They were shouting and trumpets and horns and I'm sure other things, right? You know what this was? This was a revival. Everyone rejoiced because everyone was all in for God. Verse 15 says, they earnestly sought after God and they found him. That is the lesson of the revival. Write this down. If you can, seek the Lord and he will be found by you. That is the lesson of the revival. Seek the Lord and he will be found by you. Oh, how we need a revival today. I hope you're praying for a na national revival these days. I've asked you to do that last couple of weeks, if you've listened to the podcast, to be praying for a, a national revival. And the reason I'm asking that is because how many people during those pandemic days do you suppose were feeling lost and helpless? How many people are still feeling lost and helpless? I think there's thousands, maybe more. 
like sheep without a shepherd. You see, in April of 2020, the number of Google searches for is God real question mark. That's what they typed into Google. Is God real question mark. It doubled around the world. Doubled. People are seeking. We need a revival and we need to gather as God's people. The Lord is with you and when you are with him, if you seek him, he will be found by you. Chapter 15, verse 2 in Second Chronicles. This principle, this promise is for every man, woman, boy, and girl alive today. How many people do you know who need to know this promise in verse 2? How many people do you think you could share this promise with this, this week? Maybe by sharing this podcast or maybe it's in person, the old-fashioned in-person way, right? Maybe it's an email or a text or maybe it's through social media, whatever it might be. But how many people can you share this, this promise with this week? Here's an interesting bit of trivia for you. Do you know where the concept of revival comes from? It comes from right what we're reading, the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is the book of revivals. In fact, it has five of them in it, and this is the first one. Revival happens under Asa, Jehoshaphat, uh, Josiah, uh, Ezekiel, and Josiah. And, and we're going to look at all of them. Ezra is teaching us that the renewal of a nation comes when its people seek the Lord together. People are fearful and frustrated because of a virus. People be, are fear, fearful and frustrated because of, of inequality or because of gas and food prices or, or because of political division, right? The solution to the frustration is not in the next president, folks. It's not. It's a savior who loves them. It's a Savior who loves us. Only God can change a human heart, right? So Asa assembles the people for Pentecost, and it's so powerful that people come from outside the nation, right? From the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon, and they get serious about God. They get serious about who God is. The chapter ends with this comment, though. There was no war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. 2 Chronicles 15, 19. So for 25 years, there was peace. When you, find, when you find God, you find peace, right? So here's what I'm asking. Will you pray for me, uh, pray, not pray for me, pray with me for revival in our land? Will you pray with me for revival in our cities? Will you pray for revival within our churches? I believe that revival has to start somewhere. And to me, it should start somewhere within our own churches. It should start with, start with us. So Ezra has a third lesson for us. Chapter 14 was about the route. Chapter 15 was about the revival. Chapter 16 is about the lesson of rebuke. A lesson about rebuke, R-E-B-U-K-E. -E. Because even though Asa was fervent for God in chapter 15, he kind of let his temperature cool down a little bit. For 25 years after the revival, the northern kingdom under a king named Basha begins to threaten the southern kingdom in order to stop the migration of his people into Judah. Remember, they were traveling south to go to listen and, and be a part of Asa, right? Well, Basha starts to build a border wall. His wall isn't to keep people out. It's to fence people in, right? So let's read about it. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 16, starting verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. 
Let's pause here for a second because we need to know about Rama. Rama was just five miles north of Jerusalem. It was on the main road that everyone had to travel, okay? If they, especially if they wanted to get into the kingdom of Judah, okay? So if you'll remember years earlier, when the Cushites came against Judah, um, Asa turned to God and prayed for his help. Well, this time he doesn't. And, and so remember, Basha is trying to block people from coming in. And so if he can get a hold of Rama, they won't go down there, right? So let's, let's read about it. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's uh, uh, temple and his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hada, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, and there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Where once Asa was filled with fervor, remember, now he's kind of lulled by leisure, right? So instead of trusting God and leading his people into a battle, he pays somebody else to do his fighting for him, right? That's what's going on here. And guess what? It actually worked. Basha withdrew his forces from Ramah, and, and you would like to so, and Asa lived happily ever after, right? Well, he didn't. Instead, God sent another prophet to him. And let's look at what the prophet says in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 16. At that, at that time, Hananiah, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war, is what he says. You know what? Basically, in a nutshell, God is saying, you know what, Asa? You remember when you were in trouble, you called on me, and, and I said, I'll fight for you? I did, right? So, Asa, what happened to your commitment to me? Asa, what happened to the covenant you signed? You know, I was ready to rescue you, but you turned your head away from me. Asa, what happened to your faith? You know, church... Without a doubt, one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture is Second Chronicles 16.9. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Listen, God is looking for fully devoted followers. And when he finds them, he fortifies, he adds strength to them, he does great things for them. This is the lesson of the rebuke. It is, commit to the Lord and he will fortify you. Commit to the Lord and he will fortify you. He will make you strong and he will show himself strong on your behalf. Joseph saw this when God provided a way for him from the prison to the palace. Moses saw this when his back was against the Red Sea. Daniel saw this when God closed the mouths of the lions so he could live. Peter saw this when the angel opened the prison door for him. And you will see this when you commit your ways to him fully, not half-heartedly but fully when you say without reservation, all that I have is yours. All that I am is yours church. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And when he finds them, he fortifies them. He goes before them. He prepares a way for them. He brings down mountains and raises up valleys throughout all of history. God has been building a family it's a family of people who have placed their trust in him, who believes he is a good God and is for them. God is building that family every day and fortifying its members 
every minute. God has laser-like focus and x-ray vision, right? That, that, that he can look right through our flesh, right? We think we can hide anywhere, but he can look right through that flesh and straight into our hearts. So place yourself under a shield of power, protection, and fortification by giving him your heart, right, fully every day. When enemies come against you, turn to the Lord and trust him. Enter, enter the battle with him. He fights, he finds, and he fortifies. This is our God. This is our God. So I have to ask you today, how's your heart? How's your heart these days? Is it fully on fire for God? Are you praying for God's leadership in your life every day? Are you praying for God's power to use you to further his kingdom? If God is asking you for a bull and some rams and some sheep, are you giving him 707,000 of them? And are you saying, all I have is yours, all I am is yours? How's your heart these days? Amen. This concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, episode, and I hope you'll be back next week as we continue in our series called Revival Stronger Than Ever. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Venture Ministries, or you'd like to help support us financially, please visit us at venturechurch.ch.